0: It is Canuck Central, hour number two of the program here in the Kintex studio. This hour is brought to you by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler, a proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one of the show, a uh, deep discussion on Brock Besser, his game, what he still needs to do better, and how should we view him as a player? Also, John Garrett fighting with stat, so check that out. <laughs>
1: That wasn't really funny.
0: It was more like, you know. It was a good discussion. Yeah, it
1: was a good discussion. It was a discussion.
0: Uh, As one texter put it, (laughs) fighting with Abe Simpson. No, I wouldn't put it that way. (laughs) Yeah. No, it was good. It was good. (laughs) It's funny. Um, We We love having Cheech on. He's the best. Every Thursday. Um, Almost NHL history made. Uh, The Florida Panthers leading the Montreal Canadiens
1: 7-3
0: after one period.
1: 7-3. Was was Patrick Raw in goal again?
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Panthers scored seven goals in 13 minutes and 18 seconds. That is the second fastest to seven goals in a game in NHL history. Uh, The uh, previous fast mark was uh, the Montreal Canadiens who did it on March 10th of 1951
1: versus the Chicago Blackhawks. 1951.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite Habs teams. uh, Those (laughs) 1951 Habs. It's great.
1: You grew up uh, watching uh, uh, Doug Harvey and yeah. the boys. Doug Harvey. Yes, was, uh, I mean, <laughs> he might
0: have even been ahead of that time. I don't know. Doug Harvey. Sure.
1: I mean, the amount of Norris's Doug Harvey has won. I mean, <laughs> did, did he win like eight in a row or something? Yeah, it's not nothing that absurd. Yeah, he won a lot.
0: Kind of like Nick Lidstrom in the two thousands. Uh, all right, let's bring in our next guest. It is uh, Scott Wheeler, of the Athletic, for uh, as we call it, Prospect Central, continuing to get ready for the upcoming NHL entry draft. Thanks for this, Scott. How are you?
2: I'm doing well and I don't think anybody is more ready for the upcoming entry draft as the Montreal Canadiens these
0: days, eh? <laughs> they have like 700 draft picks. It's crazy. Like so many of the draft picks are like uh very um, concentrated to a certain amount of teams in this upcoming draft.
2: Yeah, more, more than usual there. I believe there are six teams that have multiple first round picks, but at least 12 that are accounted for. And I think the number is three of those teams have three picks. So uh, there's going to be a lot of teams sitting out, and a lot of teams that are having a ton of fun in Nashville. Uh, probably a little bit too much fun in Nashville for the teams that are sitting out off of off of the the ice, if you will, or away from from the arena. I, I think our, our all of our collective trips to Nashville should be a lot of fun. But uh, no, it's it's going to be a very interesting draft that way, where the mm-hmm. the tank this season has been a, a concerted effort amongst the bottom six or seven teams. And there's an all in push in the Eastern Conference as well by several teams at the top of the standings who've really mortgaged not just this year's draft picks, but if you look through the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Toronto Maple Leafs, the New York Rangers, uh, look through their 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 next three drafts in terms of the the quick cap friendly browse of where everybody's at. And it's it's grim long term for all three of those teams in terms of first, second, third round picks. So There are teams that really, really push their chips all in, and we saw the trades with multiple first-round picks in some cases and uh, just a ton of of high draft picks changing hands at the deadline this year. So it's going to create a real chasm in terms of the the prospect worlds, at least, uh, where I think you'll see some really, really strong prospect pools emerge in the league, and you're going to see other teams that have very little coming for a a long period of time in terms of entry-level contracts.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting looking at what's been going going on in Vancouver and how they fit into this, and they've won five in a row and now have the ninth worst record, and we'll see if they actually do get some lottery luck because it doesn't look like their place in the standings is going to give them a high draft pick mm-hmm. uh, so far this year. But in terms of looking at this year's draft, and we are getting closer and closer to the final list time. In terms of your evaluation of players and especially that top tier, do you still... Or, I mean, you always leave some room until you get your final list on, but do you feel like... There is a lot more to be determined yet. Or are we starting to feel like there's a solidification kind of happening around the top two tiers of this draft?
2: Well, certainly, I would agree that there's there's sort of been a crystallization of the true top end talents in this draft, and that typically happens with all great drafts. This is, I would argue, the best draft since 2015 with with McDavid and Eichel and Marner and Rantanen and Kyle Connor. You go down the list. We've been over it. Uh, for years now, but uh, this is a a very very high end draft, not just because of Connor Bedard, but also well past him in that 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 first and second group that you talked about. That first group uh, certainly includes Matt Vainovichov, the the sort of sensation out of Russia, really the best prospect since uh, Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Malkin went one two back to back uh, out of Russia. Yeah, you know, you've got Leo Carlson, a legit potential one C prospect, a six foot three, six foot four center with a ton of talent who's made big, big plays in one of the best pro leagues in the world this year in the SHL. Uh, and then Adam Fantilli, who just had a tremendous freshman season and was announced yesterday as one of the 10 finalists for the Hobie Baker and could well uh, be one of the hat trick finalists, which will be announced in the next couple of weeks, which are the final three for the awards. So, uh, and, and they likely won't win it. It's very rare for a freshman to win it. And he had some warts in his game as well this season, despite the ridiculous production, but uh, even just to be a freshman and to get nominated for the hat trick, which I expect will happen for him, that would be a big, big deal for him. So those four are really the top end, and then behind them, players like Will Smith out of the National Development Program, uh, Zach Benson out of the Winnipeg Ice. There has been a smaller sort of cluster that has really solidified itself, and these are legit high-end prospects. Zach Benson's going to clear is is probably one game shy of clearing a hundred points this season. He might get to 110 before the year is out. That's very rare for players who are draft eligible in the WHL. Will Smith is a centerman who's playing at two points per game almost with the National Development Program this year and is a brilliant, dynamic talent with the puck on his stick. One of the most deceptive prospects in terms of losing uh, opposing players that we've seen come through the draft in the last decade, really um so just there, there's a lot there there's a a really strong core group at the top of this draft this draft and then there's depth right through uh, especially at forward it's a little bit of a weaker draft in fact one of the weaker drafts we've seen in some time on defense i don't think you're going to see a defenseman taken in the top five which is pretty standard uh we've come to expect at least one defenseman in the top five and you may not see one in the top 10 which would be a first in decades so uh, it's a, a little bit of a weird draft that way, but certainly at forward, this is a, a special, special group. And even the teams that don't win the Bedard sweepstakes as, as bittersweet as that will be for all of them, they're going to be able to quickly turn the page for playoffs for the Memorial cup for, I mean, you could see Zach Benson of the Winnipeg ice in the Memorial cup. U 18 worlds are around the corner in Switzerland, the combine. So there's still, uh, my list is getting close. I'm feeling pretty good about the top end for sure. Uh, but there's still a lot of hockey to be played. Playoffs in, in North America, certainly things are starting to wrap up in, uh, in Europe. But playoffs in North America, U18 Worlds is a big, big, big deal for NHL scouts, even though Canada doesn't typically send its best players. Uh, and, and then we'll sort of move from there into the combine as things really get solidified.
0: Of the defenseman, because when it, when when it comes down to it, you know, we always see uh, teams start to reach either for a defenseman or a center in that top ten, and we've seen it in years past, and I'm sure we'll, we'll maybe see it again. Uh, of the defenseman, who do you think could be that one that uh, starts to jump up draft boards as we get closer to the day? There are really
2: three top D prospects that have emerged as as sort of a strong group, like a consensus group of players who are likely to be picked from from 10 to 20. I I think the most likely of those three, those three are Axel Sandin Pelika, who is a five foot 11 sort of hard shooting, confident uh, mobile defenseman who's made waves in Sweden and really emerged almost out of nowhere. He was a sort of a B level prospect or considered to be a B level prospect coming into this season and then started racking up points in Sweden's junior league, got promoted to his SHL club uh, and has really sort of impressed people. He was uh, out there for two three-on-three overtimes in Halifax at the World Juniors for the Swedes, which is extremely rare to see a defenseman counted upon at three-on-three at that level, uh, at that young an age in particular. So Sandin Pelica is, is a legit prospect, but because he's five foot eleven, and the way teams are trending with looking to build these long blue lines in the molds of the St. Louis Blues when they won their Stanley Cup and the Vegas Golden Knights during their heydays, and... Certainly, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning during the last three years. Uh, it, it's just hard to imagine a five foot eleven defenseman unless you're a truly, truly special talent uh, get picked that high. And by the same token, the other of, of those three is a Russian defenseman by the name of Mikhail Gulyayev, who is also sort of five foot ten, five foot eleven, uh, has has been extremely productive, one of the most productive players in the history of the NHL for his age. Uh, but likely not to be a top 10 pick just because of the size. And that leaves the last one, which is David Reinbacker, who everybody would have uh, be, sort of become a little familiar with at the World Juniors. He was playing for Austria, and Austria had a very tough go of it and typically does at the World Juniors. But he was a bright spot on a team that really struggled and has played in Switzerland's NLA, which is the top-run pro league in Switzerland, which is honestly one of the five or six best pro leagues on the planet. Uh, and has played exceedingly well this year, regularly playing twenty five minutes a night power play penalty kill shut down roll at even strength has been the real deal for for his team in cloton uh just a really sort of strong two way six foot one six foot two defenseman who can skate and is mobile and sort of has everything that that folks are looking for in terms of n h l scouts so uh he's if there is a kid who's going to go in the top ten, I expect that it will be Ryan Backer. And we may also see him at, at Men's Worlds, which was a big deal in Moritz Sider's draft year when Moritz sort of rose from the middle of the first round conversation to that sort of sixth overall conversation where he was eventually picked. If Rheinbacker really impresses people at Men's Worlds for Austria, that could help him work his way into the, the top 10 conversation.
1: You know, one guy that I'm kind of curious about, and I haven't seen a ton about, but I've heard from some some people about his game, and especially because he does project as a righty, he's still young, and you know he hasn't turned eighteen yet, and he's six foot two. Is Lucas Dragicevic, and, and I'm not even sure he'll end up going, you know, all that high in the draft. Some people have him as a second round pick. Like, what, how do you view him as a prospect, and and could he be a guy because he is big, he plays the right side, has some offensive skill, despite the fact he has to work on his defensive side? Could he be a guy that kind of rises in? to the first round?
2: Dragosavich is an interesting one. I've I spent a lot of time asking around with scouts and folks around the WHL about him because he's a he's a little confounding as you kind of hinted at there. He led Tri-City in, score, in regular season scoring or will lead Tri-City. They've still got a few games left, but will lead Tri-City in regular season scoring, which for a draft-eligible defenseman to be well above a point per game and leading his team in scoring in juniors is extremely, extremely rare. It's kind of what we saw Ryan Ellis and Aaron Eckblad, it's it's a pretty uh, sort of, it doesn't occur all that often. So Mm. uh, that piece certainly piques people's interest Uh, by the same token, though, you're absolutely right. Really struggles defensively. I've had scouts describe his skating as a major issue. Scouts describe it as sort of clunky. Uh, And because of that, he's not even going to be on some teams draft boards. There are teams that will just steer clear of him, together because they're worried about his play off the puck. They're worried about his skating. Uh, I still think he's going to be a top two round pick. Uh, I, I think the the first round is unlikely. We are going to see some defensemen slide up though. There are, there's a real glut particularly out of the WHL of defensemen in this year's draft who are considered by many scouts to be sort of second rounders. There's uh, Moraine, for example, in the QMJHL, Dragosavich is certainly among them uh Tanner Molendick out of the WHL. There, there's a, a sort of growing list, Caden Price of the Kelowna Rockets, uh, and one or two of those guys is inevitably going to slide up because there are always teams who, who want to sort of take that defenseman in the first round. We're not just going to see the three uh, sort of top D prospects that I mentioned as the only three D that are, are taken in the first round. There's often 9, 10, 11 defensemen taken in the first round. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, and uh, the consequence of that, I think, will be some very, very high-end forwards who are likely available into day two, and that's where I think the value will be. If teams are sort of taking their swings on D in the late first round, which of the forwards who were projected to to go in the first round, which of the kids who are highly, highly talented are going to sort of slip into the second round and potentially be a gem for teams? So that that'll be a real storyline into day two in Nashville, I expect.
0: We started uh, this conversation talking about how many teams had multiple first-round picks. The Canucks were one of those teams that had multiple first-round picks but moved uh, the Islanders' selection to the Detroit Red Wings to acquire Philip Heronick. What could the Canucks be missing out on should that pick land between 12 and 15?
2: Ooh, (laughs) I hate to say it, but there's going to be potential stars there. I do believe that this draft, like 2015, is going to produce the the Kyle Connors and the Miko Rantmans and the Thomas Shabbats. You're going to see uh, Brock Besser was obviously a real success story from 2015 as well in terms of a late first rounder who's who emerged as a as an impact guy with his club. So I think that's what that's the kind of those are the caliber of players that are still going to be lingering in the teams in this draft. There are players that I am very very fond of, a player like Andrew Cristal, another Kelowna Rocket. Uh, could well be available there. Another kid who's posting sort of uh, pacing, at least. He he missed a month to injury, but would have, had he been healthy, cleared 100 points without question, uh, might have even pushed 120. Uh, a kid who just just magic with the puck on his stick, a dynamic offensive player. Uh, players like that are going to be around in that range. There are especially some of the sort of smaller Highly talented wingers. That that's a common theme at the draft. All of those kids typically fall. We saw it last year with Jonathan Lecker and Mackey, and obviously that hasn't worked out well. And he's really hit a rut this season and has struggled with his health over the last couple of years and missed a good chunk of his summer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but guys like him and Joaquin Kemmel, who fell in last year's draft, Cole Caulfield. You go down the list. It's typically the the smaller wingers. Who are, made, who are sort of still available for teams to really take a cut on. And I think there's going to be some very good players that way. Mm-hmm. This is also a very, very strong draft at center. You could, in theory, see ca- the the Callum Ritchies of this draft, the Braden Yeagers of this draft. Uh, Nate Danielson is a star out of the WHL. There's some, some quality, quality players down the middle, which is a, a, another thing that's sort of unique about this draft. Mm-hmm. You're going to see 15, 16 centers taken in the first round, which has... Uh, not happen in quite quite some time so uh, I think there there's there's real value there that they're going to be missing out and certainly Philip Peronick is a top four defenseman and uh, a young player that they were banking on to be a big part of uh, maybe a quicker turnaround and uh, but yeah I I I mean I I they don't need to hear it Canucks fans don't need to hear this from me if you will but uh, (laughs) I would have likely hung on to that hung on to that pick and uh, swung on some of the talent in this draft
1: Well, I will say, I mean, we joked about this because when the Canucks uh, were poised to potentially have two first-round picks and then have a second-round pick this year, we kind of looked at and, you know, we're really going to focus in on heavily on draft talk (laughs) the rest of this year. But now, obviously, that's changed with only the sole first-round pick in the top two rounds that Vancouver possesses at this stage. And obviously, as we discussed before, it's unclear where Vancouver is going to be picking. It looks like in that kind of eight or nine range, but ultimately, Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens. And at that range, I find it interesting because... There, it's in that tier where there's, what, five or six guys potentially, but there isn't really a consensus on who's the best guy. So when you look at Will Smith potentially, Oliver Moore, Dalibor Dvorsky, and I'm looking at centers mm-hmm. mostly here, and, and even Ryan Leonard, if you think he can play center, like, who do you think possesses the ultimate upside, the highest upside that can be available there?
2: Well, I think if the two players who I mentioned off the top, if either of Zach Benson or Will Smith are available in that 8-9 range, and I think there are good odds that one of them is still there, especially if a David Reinbacker sneaks into that conversation and gets picked 6-7-8 somewhere as a defenseman, you're going to see any number of those guys who you mentioned. I'm a big fan of Oliver Moore, an incredible skater, probably the best skater in the draft, a sort of bulldog player who has a ton of skill and can rip the puck and is going to score in bunches to replace... Logan Cooley at the University of Minnesota next year and all of that. So Moore is a special talent. Dalibor Dvorsky is a summer birthday who has done things that summer birthdays don't typically do Mm -hmm. in Sweden in terms of turning pro in hockey, Al Svenskin contributing contributing last year at a star sort of level as a very, very young player in Sweden's junior ranks. Uh, Outproducing Uri Slavkovsky and Philip Messar as a younger player way back when at at the Holenka-Gretzky Cup as a double underager. So uh, Dvorsky's a center who, who has a ton of talent and has really sort of rounded out his game nicely. Moore already has that roundedness. And then Benson and and Smith are just dynamic, dynamic, dynamic offensive players. And there's a real case that Benson is one of the best defensive forwards in the WHL as well. So those four guys would be would certainly be targets at least two of them. uh, Maybe even three of them will be available there. Uh, So there's there's a lot to like there. Ryan Leonard's a tricky one. You mentioned Ryan. Uh, He's played all three all three forward positions. But has played the least at center and has played zero center this year. He played a, a few shifts here and there at center a year ago, and as in his sort of U seventeen year. But will be a winger at the next level.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And there are scouts that are really high on him. There are scouts that think he's the best prospect out of the NTDP this year, and they've got four legit star prospects at forward, uh, including Smith and Moore, and, and then Gabe Perot as well, who's actually outproducing all of those kids, but will likely. Uh, sort of linger a little bit longer than them uh, due to other concerns about size and strength and that kind of a thing. So Leonard's a very physically mature kid, can absolutely rip the puck, a power forward type, physical sort of Rottweiler on the puck, hunting, finishing checks, creating space for his line mates, and then getting open and really, really ripping it and scoring a lot of goals with his shot. So a very different player than those other four kids. Uh, I think he'll be more of a complimentary piece or rather than a sort of true dynamic offensive driver at the next level. Mm-hmm. But there are there are scouts who are in love with Ryan Leonard and think he's going to be a heck of an NHL player, and I don't disagree. So uh, you can't go wrong with any of those five names that you mentioned at, at eight or nine
1: as far as matvey mitchkov is concerned and you know obviously there are a lot of people that see the red flags and they have a lot of concerns and they say they won't pick him before say 6 or 7 or 8 or 9 or whatever it is where's is the pick where you would say like, how high are you willing to take matvey mitchkov
2: honestly i once you get past those other three i would i wouldn't take the risk on being wrong i think you're you're much more likely to not to to lose out if you don't take him and he becomes a true star in the league, which I am very confident that he will become than you are if you take him and the theoretical option of him staying in in Russia and holding out or not coming over. I think that there's a lot of taboo that's at play in that, and I think it's more sort of smoke and mirrors and cloudy than it is sort of any real problem for him long term. And certainly if you're a team like the Vancouver Canucks in particular, and he's available at eight, nine, that's an, that, that should be a no brainer for me, especially because they have Ilya Mikheyev and they have Kuzmenko. And there's a a little bit of an established presence there amongst Russian players. And um, that would be a no brainer for me. They're a team that needs star talent. They need someone other than, than Pete and, and Quinn Hughes to sort of really emerge and grab hold of it and give them another sort of dynamic impact guy. And that's, that's what you have to swing on if you're, if you're a team like the Canucks drafting in the top 10. So it'll be interesting. It'll be fascinating because of Russia and Ukraine and because of his contract status and because of even questions about him sort of pushing his way out. It was very much by all accounts and everybody I've spoken to this year, he forced his way out of SKA so that he could go and play on a lesser team and and rack up the points that he did with Sochi and, there are scouts that have mixed feelings about a player who who does that and sort of demands his way out of an organization at that young an age. But on the flip side, he got to go and be the leading scorer on a KHL team once he arrived, and that's a big deal, obviously, for a player his age. The KHL is not a league that typically gives opportunities to young players. So for him to go and really sort of create and even a couple of the games that he didn't score in he had nine ten shots on goal that's a, that's a pretty unique special player so uh, I, I i'm a big fan of his game i think he's a fabulous talent i think he would have had a ridiculous world juniors this year in halifax and the conversation would maybe be a little bit different about him had he gone there and chased connor bedard and put up 20 points in the tournament which i think he would have absolutely been capable of doing so there's a lot at play there's there's just not enough eyeballs on him. There aren't scouts have had trouble getting to the cage show and watching games. And he's not going to be at the combine and it's a tricky situation with Michkov, but there could be a team that really, really benefits from that if they're willing to take the risk. And uh, I don't think he's any, any more of a risk at, at eight, nine than, than the rest of the player, the lesser players who will be available there. So uh I I'd, I'd swing all day on Matt Vanichkov. Uh
0: before we let you go Scott, uh I know after the Canucks acquired Atu Ratu in the in the Bohorvat trade, you did a little bit of a deep dive on him mm-hmm. as a player at the Athletic. Uh what what do you see in in Atu Ratu? we know the pace is is a bit of an issue. We saw that in the few games he played up here with Vancouver already, but uh where do you see him as as a player and where the projections could end up?
2: Yeah, an interesting player. I've I've done two pieces on him. One was that video piece that you alluded to after the trade to just sort of introduce his game to Canucks fans. And another was a feature that I did on him in his draft year and the difficult draft year that he had and how his status fell and how he fell out of love with the game and just the sort of inside story of the way that his, all of that went down in terms of him going from a potential first overall pick at 16 who was playing in Liga and lighting up the U 20 level at an age that players rarely do. And uh, then really sort of falling off and becoming a second round pick and then bouncing back nicely. And uh, he had an excellent post draft season in Liga and was a point per game player and came over and scored a couple of goals in the NHL with the Islanders. And it became a a much different story for him, obviously in Abbotsford and with the Canucks, it's been slow. Uh, That Abbotsford team doesn't have a ton of talent up front and he's not a player is really going to create a ton of looks for himself he he's a player who understands where he needs to be on the ice he's got a good shot a little bit of an overrated shot i would have argued during his draft year uh but he's definitely got a good shot quick hands good dexterity skills uh can can sort of play the give and go game can hang on to the puck occasionally but he's not a really dynamic talent and because the skating is just okay although i do think The skating, uh, if the shot is is maybe worse than he was given credit for, I actually think the skating is a little bit better than some scouts sort of pegged it as during his draft year um, and certainly even after his draft year. But I I, I see Attu as a player who's got a real chance to become a sort of third-line center or third-line winger in the NHL. I think he's more likely to end up on the wing just because of the pace issues, but he's actually a pretty decent face-off guy and uh, has has worked very hard on his defensive game to sort of round out his game to give himself a better shot at making the jump full-time to the NHL. And you have to remember as well that he's 20 years old, right? I, I think people can forget because he's played uh, professional hockey for so long and because he's been on our radar for so long. A lot like Jacob Chikrin when he sort of burst onto the scene in Sarnia and saw his stock dra- drop in his draft year. And even Timothy Lilliergren, same, same idea in, in Sweden, big name, coming up for a long, long time in Sweden, and then suddenly was drafted in the late first round. Uh, that happens a lot. There's there's a lot of overexposure that happens with those kids who burst onto the scene at 14-15 last year. Same story with Brad Lambert, who is now having a really good season uh, in the WHL since he was sent to the Seattle Thunderbirds. So I think there's a little bit of that happening. He feels older than he actually is. Uh, he's still got time on his side. He could still spend two more seasons in the AHL before becoming... A full-time NHL guy, and that would be fine. So I think patience will be will be the biggest thing for Attu Is just remembering how young he still is, building upon the strong foundation of of tools that he has, and hopefully, if he can pick up a half step, he becomes a good sort of middle of the roster forty-point NHL player. And every team every team needs those guys that are sort of below the the true impact guys that can still make an impact and make a big play. And I think he's got an opportunity to become that sort of peer of player.
0: Scott, we uh, we really appreciate the time and the insights. Listeners, you can follow him at Scott C. Wheeler on Twitter. Thanks for this, Scott. Thanks, guys. Uh, there he is, Scott Wheeler uh, of The Athletic, joining us here on Canuck Central.
1: Yeah, great insight. And, uh, you know, obviously the Ratu stuff is going to be, you know, we spoke a lot about Besser, him mm-hmm. offseason, and how he looks next year is going to be really interesting and how he can kind of fit in. And, you know, we keep wondering about, Two things, really, especially with how the Canucks find themselves probably picking later in the top 10 here, right? Do they maybe look at a defenseman? Mm -hmm. And is there a world where a guy like Matvey Michikov just finds himself still there because people are afraid of taking him? And if he is... You're getting a potential top four talent, top two, three talent at that stage. So, if Vancouver does end up picking, say ninth or something like that, I really hope Michkov's there. Let me just keep putting it that way. Yeah, I hope Michkov's there. If Vancouver's picking ninth because if they do, man, you know how people say this is the worst thing to happen for Vancouver, like getting, mm-hmm, you know, a later first round pick. If you get Michkov there, <laughs> it's like you picked in the top five.
0: Well, it's it's kind of like when Hughes dropped to them at at, uh, yeah. at seven,
1: right, in 2018 like Mitch unbelievable player. He's, he's incredible. And like, he's going to get airlifted into your lineup in three years to score 30 goals. Yeah. Cause he's going to be ready to do that when he comes in, like whoever you draft at that spot, take three to four years to play in the NHL, three years to play in the NHL. How many years until he scores 30?
0: Mm-hmm. He's, you're going to get a ready-made player, but essentially a free agent signing. Don't uh, be afraid uh, when okay. he's ready yeah. to jump to the NHL. <laughs> Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw, uh, We're going to keep getting ready for the Canucks and Arizona Coyotes. That's coming up next on Canucks Central.